Amen. And it is because of the, the perfect, holy Lamb whose blood was shed that we might have eternal life that we can look forward to that day when we will be in the golden city, where we will worship you forevermore. What a great and awesome God you are. We thank you that we serve a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. We pray right now as we go to your word that you would be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would minister to every single heart that's here. Father, I know that people have come tonight uh, with different things going on in life. I thank you, Lord, that your word can speak to every single heart. Lord, I just pray you do an awesome work tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. If you have your Bible, turn to Numbers 18. If you don't have your Bi- a Bible, raise your hand. We have plenty of Bibles. We will be happy to loan you one. And again, if, it's, if you need to take it home with you, please do. It's our gift to you. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be happy to loan you one. And please feel free to take it with you. One, one other quick announcement. Many of you know that next Wednesday, there's about, I'm not sure the exact number, I think around 20 of us leaving for Israel. And can I encourage you with something? I know, and this, you know, don't take this wrong, but a lot of times when the pastor's not around, people don't come to church. But what's up with that, right? Now, you don't come here for me, I hope. I hope you're coming here for the Lord, amen? Because the Lord's going to be here next Wednesday night, even though I'm not, okay? And you know what else? I want to encourage you, if you have not had a chance to hear some of our assistant pastors teach, these guys are gifted. You know what I mean? They are extremely gifted, and I want to encourage you, you will be absolutely blessed. Joe Shoup's teaching next Wednesday, uh, Chris Webb's going to teach on the Sunday, a week from Sunday, and then Mike Gibbons going to be teaching the Wednesday after that. And I just want to encourage you to, to be here, support those guys, and know that God's going to bless you if you show up. Amen? So when I get back, I'm going to find out who wasn't here. Take and roll, all right? No, I want to encourage you, because it does bum your pastor out when I find out I'm gone on a Sunday and half the church doesn't show up. That's not good, all right? All right, Numbers 18. Tonight we're going to look at God's provision. And you know what? We serve Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider, amen? Everything we have, everything that, that, that belongs, that we, we say belongs to us, really belongs to God. It's all His. And I want to catch us up, though, before we look at God's provision, specifically for those who serve in ministry, because that's what the chapter's about. But I want to catch us up just real briefly, because I love the way the Old Testament just fits together. In Genesis, we saw the sin of mankind. Men fell away from God. God created man in His image. He had a perfect relationship, and man chose to sin. Listen to the temptation of the devil and, and wanted to be like the Most High. We get to Exodus and 400 years of bondage finally came to an end because God brought a deliverer by the name of Moses. And Moses is a picture, a type of Christ. How God used him to deliver the people out of bondage. You and I too, before we came to know Christ. And maybe you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord. You've never been born again. We, all of us, are sinners. Every one of us in this room. How many murders does it take to be a murderer? That'd be one. How many sins does it take to be a sinner? One. And guess what? You're all sinners. And you know what? That's a picture of what Exodus is all about. Exodus was bondage, and they were delivered out of bondage. God used the deliverer, Moses. And our sin has been forgiven through the deliverer, Jesus Christ. He has delivered us from sin. You get to Leviticus, and you see Jesus on every page, because it's all about the sacrificial system. It's the most bloody book in the entire Bible. And every one of the sacrifices pointed to our Savior. Just like in Exodus, every piece of furnishings in the tabernacle pointed to Christ. If you were here on Sunday, you heard me talk about the 
the things in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the New Testament by our Savior. When we get to Numbers, we have seen that they've been out of bondage for about 13 months. They're encamped at Mount Sinai. The law has been given to them, but we see that Numbers, really the better title for it would be in the wilderness, because that's really what it's all about. The 40 years of wandering. An 11-day trip turned into a 40-year death march. Why? Because they rebelled against God. And you know what? Isn't it amazing? We do the same thing in our life. God has a clear plan for our lives. We want to do things our own way, and we wonder why we get stuck in a rut for years, right? How come, you know, have you ever met someone who's been a Christian like a year, and they're just in fuego for God, and they meet someone else who's been a Christian for 20 years, and they're like a first-year Christian for the 20th year in a row? Why is that? Because too often we don't want to just be sold out for the Lord. We think Christianity is something we do on Sunday and Wednesday for two hours a week. You know what? Being a Christian isn't just like joining a country club. Amen? This is not a religious country club. There's no, you know, we don't have any antlers up on the walls. It's not the Elks Club, right? You know what? Being a Christian is being a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. You've been born again. You're going to heaven. The person you used to be is dead and you're a new creation in Christ. That's what Christianity is all about. Numbers, they didn't get it. What did they do? God said, I've, I've got a promise for you. I'm going to give you the land of promise. They were encamped in what shape? cross headed to the land of promise dwelling in tents holy spirit god's presence with them right the center of the tabernacle and they just would follow the spirit as it led them and that's exactly a picture of us we're encamped in the cross through the shed blood of christ we've been born again the holy spirit lives inside of us he guides and leads and directs our lives we're living in these temporary tents and we're headed to the land of promise and you know what we can take a direct line there or we can wander in the wilderness for a long time it's really up to us Either we want to obey God or we don't. And so the children of Israel sadly rebelled against God. In the last couple of weeks, what we've seen is rebellion got so heavy that God began to bring heavy judgment upon them. And if you remember what had happened is that they got to the border of, of Canaan land and what did they do? They were supposed to enter in. God told them it belongs to you. It's yours. And what did they do? They sent what? They spent, sent spies into the land because they didn't trust God. And you know what? How many of you... I'm, my hand's already up. How many of you have been guilty of not trusting God? You know, why don't we trust God? Now, you know, you have reasons not to trust me sometimes because I'll blow it. But God is always faithful, amen? And you know what? Too often we don't trust God because we don't know enough of His Word. You know, if we knew His Word, we could trust Him more. That's why we read the book, Don't Wait for the Movie, around here, amen? Spend time in God's Word. Let God minister to your heart. Open this thing up. And we need to spend time with the Lord. We need to understand and know His heart. When the children of Israel got rebellious and said, well, you know, we've got to look at our circumstances first. You know, we need to look at our circumstances through the eyes of the Lord, not look at the Lord through the eyes of our circumstances. Amen? Our God's greater than our circumstances. And what happened was the children of Israel, the ten spies came back and said, we're going to be like grasshoppers. If we try to go in there, they're going to smoke us, man. We've got no chance. There's giants in the land. And they all started whining. And they even wanted to go back to Egypt. You remember this? Well, let's go back to Egypt. There was leeks and onions and beatings back there, right? We can go back and get, we could probably be scourged this afternoon if we hurry, right? And these guys had totally had this selective memory. They missed God completely. And then we see, not only did they question God, but they began to question authority. And if you remember, Miriam and Aaron are Moses' brother and sister. And they came to Moses and said, who do you think you are? Miriam was pretty much the spokesperson because Aaron didn't talk a whole lot. And when he did, he usually blew it. But what happened was Miriam came and said, well, I'm as spiritual as you, Moses. What happened to Miriam? She got struck with what? 
Leprosy, head to toe. You know what leprosy is? It's a, it's a picture of sin. What does sin do? It eats away until you die. And that's what she had. And you know what? Moses, again, as I've said, he could have prayed at her through the, through the camp and said, you know, if you talk trash about me, this, you could be next, right? But he didn't do that. Instead, what he did is he prayed for her and she was healed. Well, it didn't stop with, Moses, it didn't stop with Miriam and, and Aaron. Now his cousin got into the act. His cousin's name two chapters ago was Korah. Remember that? And he got Dathan and, and Abiram to come along with him. Then he got 250 men of renown. And then he went out and got the whole crowd. And he had Moses and Aaron standing next to each other. And the whole crowd, it could have been as many as 3 million Israelites on the other side. And they're all going, boo, you know, Moses comes out, right? Can you imagine? And they're like, they, he's like, I'm, I'm as good as you, Moses. And who do you think you are? And who, made, who died and made you boss? And who put you in that position? And I'm just as spiritual as you are. And, I don't, right? and they're coming against him, they're questioning authority. Can I tell you something? Those who are truly called by God to lead never have to strive to do it. You don't have to strive, you don't have to knock walls down, you have to win popularity contests. You fall in love with the Lord, and you serve Him with your whole heart. And if God wants to use you, He will. Amen? And no man can stop it from happening. Moses, where was Moses when he got made deliverer? Was he out, you know, having political functions, raising money? Was he having $5,000 plate dinners? What was he doing? He was holding a staff watching a bunch of sheep. And God called him. And God can do the same thing with us. But what happened was that they came and challenged the authority of Moses and Aaron. And what did God do to, to Korah and Dathan and Abiram? What happened? The ground opened up and swallowed them. That's pretty significant. I think I would repent, right? That'd be enough, right? But instead what happened, the 250 guys were holding censers that only the high priest was supposed to hold. Remember that? And what did God do to them? They got fired. Literally, right? Fire came out of the sky, just scorched them. Now, amazing, you got, you got these three guys and their family fell into the ground, right? That was the pits, literally, right? And then these guys get fired, and, and, then, and you know, you would think there would be massive repentance, and instead, what do they do? They started coming against Moses, the crowd did, and said, look what you've done to God's anointed. Did Moses open up the ground, or did God do that? Did Moses call fire? No, God did it. And they're murmuring, and they're complaining, and you know, it's too easy, you know, maybe I'm a little sensitive to this, but it's really easy to pick on the pastor sometimes, right? Whoever's up front, it's his fault. That's why I've got the problems I've got, and that's what they're doing. It's Moses' fault. He's the reason that we're wanting. No, you're wandering in the wilderness because you wouldn't enter into God's promise. And so then we saw in chapter 17 that God wanted to confirm that it truly was Aaron that was called. He'd already called him, but he said, I'm going to make it clear to everyone. And if you remember what happened, after the plague hit and 14,700 people died, and Aaron walked in the middle of them, and the plague stopped as soon as he got in the middle, picture of the intercessor, Aaron's position was high priest. Who's the great high priest? Jesus Christ. What happened? They went and took their rods, remember this? And they stuck them, stuck them on the tabernacle. And what happened to Aaron's? It budded. An, an, an almond blossom and fruit started coming out of it. And the rest of them, what happened to them? Nothing. They're a bunch of dead sticks, right? And to me, it's such a clear picture because it says of Jesus Christ that he's the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first fruits, right? He's a risen and living Savior. And all the other sticks, when they died, that was it. Muhammad dead, Buddha dead, Hare Krishna dead, Joseph Smith. Right, what, all of them. Every religious leader dead in the ground, we could dig up their bones. But Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior. And he's making it real clear, guys. This is who I've called. Honor him. 
Now he's going to follow up tonight, and we're going to look at how he desires that the priest interact with the people, and the people interact with the priest. And we're going to see just real clearly how God has a divine plan. God has a way of doing things. And how we can, if we're not careful, we can denominationalize things right out of the body of Christ if we're not careful. But we're going to see clearly the duties the priest had toward the people. We're going to see that God calls the the priest first and foremost to guard the tabernacle. His job is to make sure, first and foremost, that nobody comes in that doesn't belong there. Now what I mean by that, he's not keeping people out of church. But the Holy of Holies, only the high priest is supposed to enter in. Because the high priest is a picture of Christ. He's also supposed to intercede on behalf of the people. How does he do that? He's the one that makes the sacrifices. But how do the people, how should the people respond to the priest? How should the people respond to the priest? They were to submit to them, and they were also to minister to them, and to support them. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight as we look at chapter 18. And I just, again, I want to say about last chapter, we saw God reestablishing truth, because they'd gotten off onto a lie. Let me ask you a question. Does the church today need to get back to the truth? Absolutely. You know why? Because people stop reading the book. You know, you go to churches and they don't have Bibles anymore. You know what I mean? And you walk into a church, you see 500 people walk in and nobody's got the word. That's not good. That's not a good sign. If you go into a restaurant and they don't have any food, how many times are you going back? Right? Ain't a restaurant, man. That's something. And it's not a church if they don't have God's word there. Amen? He elevates his word even above his name. And so what happened was they got away from the truth and he says, no, this is my calling and this is the truth and Aaron's the one I've called and you, and you know what? He's the one. Not you, not anybody else. He's making it very clear there's only one way God said to get to heaven and Jesus is the only way. Amen? It's only the high, not, there's not 47 different paths. Not grab one and, 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 you know, float down the river and hope it lands somewhere. You gotta follow what God has called. So tonight, here's what we're gonna look at. We're gonna see that God has established the authority again of the high priest. And that he's been anointed by God. Remember again, that the high priest was not voted on. Amen? There's no democracies in the Bible that work. Every democracy you see in the Bible does not work. Why? Because it's supposed to be a theocracy. Because who's in charge? God is. Who's the head of this church? Jesus Christ. No man. Amen? And, you know, we just mess it up. We start voting on stuff and we just mess it up. We start voting on stuff that's not in God's word. And so God desires that we keep his word central and fo- the central focus. So in this chapter, God's going to define the role and duty of the high priest and the Levites and how they are to minister to the people and how the people are to interact with them. So in the first seven verses, we're going to see God's provision for the people, how God uses the priest to be spiritual provision for the people. Then we're going to see how God uses the people to be physical provision for the priest. Let me say that again. The priest, God used the priest to be spiritual provision for the people. He's supposed to feed the people spiritually and minister to them. And the people are supposed to support and minister to the priest by taking care of his physical needs. That's what this chapter is about. It's a two-way street. If one of those doesn't happen, then there's a big hole there. You know, the people need to minister to the priest, and the priests need to minister to the people, or it's not going to work. And then lastly, we're going to see the Levites, God's provision to them, and then God's provision through them, how they're, how they're going to have tithes given to them to support them, but they too are supposed to give. So let's begin in verse 1, and look at God's provision and ministry, the priests, 
Again, God's provision for the people. How they're to, to reach out to the people and to minister to the people. And they have a calling on their life. Just as God had a specific uh, line called to serve as priests, so too they each had a specific calling. Remember, what's the priestly line again? The Levites. Okay, let's begin in verse 1. Now remember, just understand that what has just happened is it's been reconfirmed that Aaron indeed is the high priest. And what did the people do? The people started to whine yet again. The three million whiners were back at it. And what did they say? We're all going to die. If we go near the tabernacle, we're all going to die. And last week we talked about the fact that the cross is either a place of, of of, of great rejoicing, that your sins have been forgiven, or a place of great judgment because you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The tabernacle is either a place of God's presence and God's glory or a place that you feared and you wanted to stay away from. And that's where the people were, and this is where the Lord begins to speak. Look at what it says here. And the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons of your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall hear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. So the first thing that we see of the high priest, they were to be in charge of what was going on in the tabernacle. The priesthood carried both great privilege and great responsibility. Now, in the Bible, we see three different things that apply to us today when it comes to the priesthood. We first see who the great high priest is. I've said it many times. Who is it? Jesus Christ. What would be the closest thing to the priesthood in the church today below Christ? It would be the pastor's. But isn't, doesn't the Bible also say that every believer is of a royal what? Priesthood. And God has called you to be the priest in your household. So while we can look at this from the perspective of the, of the Lord, we can also look at it as those in leadership and ministry in the church, but we can also look at it for you in your house, in your home, ministering to your kids and in your neighborhood. And so we see here that he says to them that they're going to carry the iniquity for the tabernacle, and they're going to carry the iniquity for the priesthood. Now, I believe this is, again, a clear picture of Christ. Because where did all the iniquity of mankind, where was it placed? Who was it placed upon? It was placed upon Jesus Christ, the great high priest. But he's also telling them that they were going to be the ones to make the sacrifice. And they were going to be the ones that were in charge of caring for the tabernacle to make sure. Remember Nadab and Abihu? Remember those guys? Who was their dad? Aaron. And do you remember what happened? Aaron's boys, what did they do? They got lit. Remember, they were drinking, and they got lit, and what did they do? They went right into the Holy of Holies, holding censers. They were not the high priest. They were not, it was not the Day of Atonement, and what happened to them? They got smoked, too. They got fired from their job right away. You're done, right? When God fires you, there's no discussion. You're fired, okay? And they got fired immediately. And he's saying to Aaron, you are called to oversee the tabernacle. You are called to care. You're going to be the one that makes the sacrifices, intercedes on behalf of the people, but you're also the one to make sure that nothing outside of my will goes on in the tabernacle. I'm going to hold you accountable. You know, it's a blessing to be a pastor. I love it. There's nothing in the world I would rather be. There's nowhere in the world I'd rather be doing it. I I am so blessed. I came to tell you. It's going to bring me to tears if I keep talking about it. I love being your pastor. It's such a privilege. I'd rather be that than the President of the United States or the quarterback for the Niners or anything else you can think of. I'm so blessed to do this. But you know what? It is an awesome privilege, but it comes with a great responsibility. And the same is true for you in your house. As the priest of your household, it comes with a great privilege, but also with great responsibility. You're going to be accountable for how you raise your kids. You're going to be accountable for how you minister to your wife or your husband. 
You're going to be accountable for how you're, you, know, you have your house set up in serving and honoring the Lord. So we see a picture of the great high priest Christ that all the sin of mankind is placed upon him. But we also see the picture that, that they're to care for the tabernacle and to watch over it. You know, it doesn't happen a lot here, but every once in a while, we'll get someone coming in here that's got an agenda. And their agenda is to draw people away to a lie. And usually they don't last very long. We just sick Manny or somebody on them and that takes care of it, right? We just, go, we just say, hey, guy, bro, we love you, man. It's good to have you here, but what you're teaching is noise and we're just not going to have it. Buddha's dead, by the way, okay? He's dead, right? You know, the big fat guy, you bought him down at the mall. I mean, if you bought your God at the, at the mall, not good, right? If you put oranges in his lap and they rot, not a real good God to serve, right? My God put the stars in the sky. I'll, I'll follow him. He rose from the dead. You're serving a, you know, a statue. But what happens is on occasion, they'll, they'll seep into the church. And, and as pastors, it's our, it's our calling to say, hey, we love you. You're welcome to stay. But if you're going to teach that garbage, um, we're going to have to ask you to leave. Why? Because the Bible says to watch for the wolves in sheep's clothing. Amen? Watch for those who are going to come in. And they usually go after the new believers and try to stumble people. And you know what? We love them, but not, go away. Don't go away, man. Just go away. And you know, if you want to talk to me, come down to the office. But that's reality. And that's the calling that they had was to watch over the tabernacle. And they were going to be accountable before God for how they ministered, again, both to the people and how they ministered to keep it focused on the Lord. And again, what he says there is he reminds them of, of their responsibility. They took care of the furnishings, they offered the sacrifices, and they were to protect it from being defiled from people on the outside. Now, remember that God's presence in the camp should have brought great joy, but instead what it had brought, it had brought fear amongst many of the people. They were afraid of the tabernacle because where were they when the ground opened up? At the tabernacle. Where were all those guys when the fire came down and smoked them all? At the tabernacle. If you're not walking with God, that's probably the last place you want to be. Dude, last time I came here, the ground opened up and people got smoked. I'm not going anywhere near that place. I'm staying right over here, right? And what happens is that sometimes people view church that way. Well, man, I can't go in there because my life's not perfect. Can I tell you something? The church is not a police station. It's a hospital. Amen? It's not a place where you come and people rap on your knees with a baton until you get it right. You come here because you say, I'm blown and I'm hurting. And Lord, I need your help. Because without you, I can do nothing. And so the priest's job was to draw those people and was to minister to them and make the sacrifice on their behalf. And God has called us to do the very same thing. And it says that they would bear the iniquity. Again, a picture of Christ. They would be responsible, that the, again, for interceding on behalf of the sins of all mankind. And that's what every single one of the sacrifices pointed to. So again, a great privilege, a great honor. The priesthood was God's gift to Israel. Why? Because without priests, they couldn't approach God. Could they go into the Holy of Holies without the high priest? They couldn't. Why? Because the high priest is a picture of Christ. Can you and I come to the Father apart from Christ? No. And so we see here this very clear picture. He's reinstating Aaron. He's making it really clear. You guys are getting away from the truth. I want to put you back to where you belong. Verse 2 and 3. Also, bring with you the the brethren of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve serve you while you and your sons are with with you before the tabernacle of witness. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and the altar, lest they die, they and you also. Now the Levites, were they priests? What's the answer? 
No. All priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Okay? But did the Levites have a special calling on their lives? Yes. You know what? The Levites, in this case, remind me of, in the book of Acts, where they raised up seven men to be waiters of tables. What do they call them? Deacons. And that's really what these Levites were like. Their job was to take care of the physical needs so that those who were called to minister to spiritual needs could do it. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that either one of those is a higher calling than the other? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Do you know it's just as high a calling to show up here two hours early on Sunday morning and set up chairs as it is to get up here and teach the Bible? Because it's all calling. It's just different calling. Guess what? If nobody set up chairs on Sunday... We wouldn't have any place to sit. And if nobody came early and set up the sound system, and you know, if the worship team wasn't practicing during the week, and these are all different callings, but as everyone's faithful to do what God has called them to do, that's when God is glorified. That's when we come together and you can minister to me and I can minister to you. We can use our gifts. What a blessing it is. You know, the Bible says if everyone was an eye, where would be the hearing? Right? If, what if everybody here was a Bible expositor? We'd come into church on Sunday, everybody get up and just start at each other, right? We'd all start preaching at each other. What if everybody here was, you know, we'd all have guitars in our hand, just be singing at each other, (laughs) right? But God doesn't do things that way. And same true with the Levites. God's calling on the Levites was, guys, I've got a great calling on your life, and here's what you're to do. You're to move the tabernacle. You're to be the ones to be faithful to serve in that way. I also want to say this. Every, almost every pastor I've ever met in my life that God is using mightily started out setting up chairs or working in the nursery or bringing the refreshments or mopping the floors or what. You know why? Because that's the true heart of someone called by God. They're willing to serve wherever. What do you need help with? I'll do it. Park cars, I can do that. Come early and set, I can do that, right? That's the heart of a servant. And the Levites, they were called by God, and their calling was important because if they did not free up the priest, then the priest would not be able to do what God called them to do, intercede on behalf of the people. And he says there, bring them with you so they may serve while you go before the tabernacle of witness, that they may attend to your every need. You know, I I have to encourage you with something because I know this can happen. It's very easy for us to fall into the pattern of the world and become jealous of somebody else's calling. I, mean, I don't remember who said this, but there was somebody that said he, wanted to, he just so desperately wanted to be Billy Graham. He wanted to be Billy Graham so bad that he wished there was two Billy Grahams and none of him, basically. You know, I just want to be Billy Graham. Well, we've already got a Billy Graham. That job's filled, right? It's already taken care of. And too often we look at somebody else's calling and we want what their calling is. You know, can I tell you, just do what God's called you to do. Do it with your whole heart. And you know, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He's going to give you the desires of your heart. And if he gives you a desire to do more, then he'll equip you to do it, and he'll give you the opportunity to do it. That's the God we serve. He's an awesome God. Don't envy what someone else is doing. Uh, Just be blessed where you're at, and, and just be faithful, and watch how God will use you in a mighty way. And so they were permitted, again, to come and minister, but they were not permitted. Look what it says in verse 3. They were not permitted to come near the articles in the sanctuary. And the altar, lest they die, they and you also. Who's he talking to? Aaron. He says, Aaron, if you let anybody else come near the Ark of the Covenant, not only are they going to die, but you're going to die too. The Ark of the Covenant, or the bronze altar, or or many of the furnishings, what do they all point to? To Jesus, and what, what specifically? The cross. 
And what he's saying is only the high priest can make the sacrifice. And when anybody else comes in, it's blasphemy. When anybody else says they could die for your sins, it's blasphemy. And so he said, we must protect that. And nobody else can come in and make that sacrifice. Only the high priest. And if anybody else does, they're going to get struck down dead. And if anybody else tells you that they can pay for your sin, they're a liar because they're sinners in need of a Savior themselves. Verse 4. They shall be joined with you and attend the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle. But an outsider shall not come near you. Now who's an outsider? An outsider is a non-Levite. Today's terms, it would be an unbeliever. An unbeliever cannot come into fellowship with God. Did you know that? Did you know that God does not hear the prayers of unbelievers? Did you know that? That's a fact. Why? Because God cannot have sin in His presence. He's perfect, holy God. So the only prayer that He can hear from an unbeliever is, forgive me. Make me a new creation. I confess that you are Lord. Other than that, he doesn't hear their prayer. Why? Because there is no one interceding on their behalf. Jesus Christ is not their Lord and their Savior. He's not the one that can link sinful man back to holy God. So people can say, well, I know this guy, and he just really spiritually prays all the time. He might as well be shouting down a well. It's of no fruit. No bearing. They cannot come into fellowship apart from Christ. You and I cannot come into fellowship apart from Jesus Christ. He has to be the one that enters us in to that place of holy fellowship with the Father. Unrepented sin brings separation. What is the word sin? Where does it come from? It's an archery term, right? How many of you knew that? Okay, Sin is the distance between where your arrow lands and where the bullseye is. The bullseye is perfection, and the distance between the bullseye and where your arrow lands is called the sin distance. It's the distance between you and perfection. And some of you, you, maybe you've lived a pretty good life, and compared to others, maybe you're this close, and maybe some of us are 47 miles away from the target. But the reality is, we've all got a sin problem, and God can't have sin in His presence. And what He's saying here is, no unbeliever can come in to the place where God dwells. It's impossible. Cannot come apart from coming with the high priest, coming with the sacrifice, with the shed blood of the Lamb. Verse 5. And you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar. There may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. The children of Israel had fallen into rebellion because they had ceased to make sacrifices. You know the Lord set up all the sacrifices. Do you know how many times they did it? Once. And then they stopped. And you know, we can do that too. We can walk an aisle and pray a prayer. with the get out of hell free card in your wallet. Your baptismal certificate. Right? And then go out and live like the world and say, hey, man, I did it. I walked out, I prayed the prayer, got the little thing, you know. Somebody signed it to my wallet. When judgment day, I'm pulling that bad boy out, right? I got right there it is. Signed right here. Embossed. It's good stuff. Raised lettering. I'm set, right? But the reality is that our lives should be transformed. And he says, the reason the wrath of God is coming upon Israel is they've taken their eyes off of me, and they saw no need for sacrifice anymore, and they were not seeking my face anymore, and they'd fallen out of fellowship with me, and then they lost faith. They didn't want to enter into the land of promise because they hadn't been seeking my face. Why do we, why do we not trust God? Because we don't spend time with Him. Amen? If you spend time with God, you will trust Him. You're as close to God as you want to be. Let me say that again. You're as close to God as you want to be. 
Well, Pastor Dave, I want to be closer. No, if you did, you'd spend more time with him. Amen? You'd be in his presence more. You would seek his face. You would turn off the TV sometimes and crack open, you know, blow the dust off that Bible and read it. Right? I mean, you'd spend time, you'd, you'd be sharing your faith. It's all up to us. Uh, you know, God's right there. If you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen? It wasn't God. He didn't leave. He's still there. We walk away. And what he's saying to them is, you know what? You continue to make the sacrifices and you draw them back in because God's wrath is coming upon them because they stopped sacrificing and they stopped seeking my face and they stopped having time for me. And they started looking at their circumstances and they started being overwhelmed by their circumstances and they didn't see a need for, for me anymore. And I want you to bring them back to sacrifice. I want them to see that, that sin is a bloody mess and acquires a heavy price. And only through the high priest can they draw back into my presence, into a place of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Verse 7, 6. Behold, I myself have taken your, your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you, given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meaning. He's talking to Aaron, and he says to him, these guys, these priests, are, they're not priests, the Levites, are gifts to the priests. These guys are a gift to you to help you in the ministry. Can I tell you guys something? That my prayer, when we started Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, there was maybe, I don't know, 10 people. 8, 10, I don't know what the number was. But I remember praying, Lord, bring the servants first. Bring those who are called by you to serve. And you know what? You guys showed up, so you must be them. Amen? And you know what? And you have been them. Servants' hearts. And you know what? You guys are a gift from God. Just like the Levites were a gift from God to the high priest, you guys are a gift from God to me, you're a gift from God to Santa Cruz. You're a gift from God to, to be used mightily by God. He's got a calling on your life. He brought you here. You're such a blessing. Just your faithfulness and your obedience to the calling He's placed upon your life. Those who assist in the ministry truly are a gift from God, freeing up the priests to do what God had called them to do. Verse 7, Therefore you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give the priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to what? Death. death. Why? Because sin brings forth death. And unless our sin is paid for, then we have to reap the consequences of it. He said behind the veil, that's the Holy of Holies, and behind the veil was where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant, again, a picture of the cross. What were the three elements in the Ark, who remembers? One of them was what? Aaron's what? Aaron's rod, a picture of the high priest. A jar of manna, that picture of the fact God's provision and that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. What was the last thing? The law, the Ten Commandments that pointed to our sin and our need for a Savior. And you know what's awesome? What was put on top of all those elements? The what? The, the mercy seat. And if anybody pulled the mercy seat away and looked into the law, guess what happened to them? They died. Why? Because if you... Look straight into the law without God's mercy, you're going to die every time. Because if you look at the law, you will be found wanting. You will be judged. You're guilty. But praise God that on top of the law is God's mercy. Amen? And that's where the blood was sprinkled. And that's where you and I, and how you and I were forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So the priest, God's provision for the people spiritually. He was to protect the sanctuary from being defiled. He was to intercede on behalf of the people. Again, a picture of Christ protecting His bride, interceding on our behalf. 
A picture of those in ministry today protecting the church from false teachers, interceding on behalf of the, the churches they pastor. A picture of each one of us as a royal priesthood in our house, protecting the church from false doctrine, interceding on behalf of our family and our friends and our children. Now let's move on and look at God's provision for the priest. How does God provide for those who are in ministry? How does He do that? Let's take a look. It's pretty clear in His Word. Look at verse 8. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, Here, I myself have also given you charge of my heave offerings. All the holy gifts of the children of Israel, I have given them as a portion to you and your sons, as an ordinance forever. This shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire, every offering of theirs, every grain offering, every sin offering, every trespass offering which they render to me, shall be most holy for you and for your sons. Now, we're going to see in a minute here that all the tribes had an inheritance except one. Which one? The Levites. Why? Because if they're out, if they're out toiling in the ground all day long and they're planting a field, how effective are they going to be in serving in the tabernacle? Not real good, right? What if we have a hailstorm? We've got to sh- shut the tabernacle down for a while because we've got to go deal with the hailstorm. And God's desire and God's plan for the Levites was that they be full-time available to serve in the tabernacle to minister on behalf of the people. Even more so for the high priest. His calling was, he needs to be there to intercede. He needs to be there to intercede on behalf of the people and to make the sacrifices. And if he's not there... There's no one else that's called to do that but him. And so we see the same truth. What does he say? He says, I'm going to give to you out of every offering they give, the heave offering or the first offerings of first fruits or the sin offering or the trespass offering. What they did, if you were here during Exodus or Leviticus, what did they do? A portion of it was burned unto the Lord. You guys remember that? What part of it? Usually the what part? The best part, which is usually the fat. Now, some of you might not agree with that, but fat's tasty, all right? It is. It's good. You know, what makes a barbecue drip? Fat. So, it smells good. You're driving down the street, you smell barbecue. Oh, that's good. That's fat. Okay? And it was a sweet aroma in the presence of the Lord, and the fat was burned to the Lord. But then they took the rest, and who was it given to? The priest. So that he could serve in the ministry. So that he wouldn't have to be a double-minded man pulled in two different directions. And so God's highest was that the priest would serve full-time, and he wouldn't be distracted. And he wouldn't be you know, brought away from God's calling upon his life. And so we see here again that the best went to the Lord and the rest was given to the priest. Now I want to say this. It's interesting that how did the priest eat? The only way the priest ever got anything to eat was when he made sacrifices. The only way he got fed was when he fed others. The only way he got ministered to physically was he went in and interceded on behalf of someone else. And you know what? I have people say that to me sometimes. You know, Pastor Dave, I'm going to this church. I got a call just yesterday from a lady who listens to us on the radio and also listens to us over the internet and, and comes and visits every once in a while. But she lives a long ways from here. And she's telling me, I've tried all these churches and no one, none of them are feeding me. And this is what I told her and this is what I will tell you. You know what? When you say you're not being fed, you start feeding someone else. Amen? When did the priest get fed? When they interceded and ministered on behalf of someone else. You know, it's amazing when you start preparing to teach the four and five-year-olds on Sunday how you're spending time in the Word preparing for them. What's happening to you? You're getting what? You're getting fed. What happens when, when you know, 
you're, you're teaching a Bible study at work or you're doing something you know, in the women's ministry or whatever it might be, or leading a prayer group. And you know what happens is you're, maybe you're teaching through 1 Corinthians and you're driving down the road and the 1 Corinthians message comes on the radio. You know, maybe you'd be driving along normally. Now you pull off the side of the road and get your notepad out. Oh, this could be some good stuff. Oh, this will preach right here. I've got to get this down, right? And what happens is as you're feeding others, you get fed. And we see here the only way that they got fed is they had to make sacrifice. When they brought the sacrifice in and offered it up to the Lord, then a portion of it came back to them. You want to get fed? You want to grow? Start feeding others. Start discipling somebody. The Bible says we're called to make what? Disciples, not converts. Disciples, amen? And I'll tell you, that's one thing that's lacking in the church today. We need to be discipling people. Disciple means what? Learner. Learner. I'm hungry to learn. And you know, my prayer would be that on Sunday and Wednesday you're getting ministered to, but it's also good to have one-on-one or, or a small group of four or five folks where you're praying together and encouraging each other. Somebody can call on the phone and say, man, will you pray for me? I'm struggling. Or, you know, someone keeps you accountable with something that's going on in your life. It's important stuff. You want to grow? Start discipling somebody. You want to grow? Start feeding others and ministering to others for, with God's... Now, but Pastor Dave, I, it's just overwhelming. I, I, you know, I can't start a Bible study at work. You're pulling a Moses. What did Moses say? I'm a what? I'm a stutterer. Man, I'm out here. I'm, I'm, I'm 80. I'm 80. When I was a 40-year-old prince, why didn't you come grab me then? Why didn't you grab me when I was, you know, racing chariots and stuff and riding horses and, you know, when I was yoked? I'm old now. I'm 80. Right? And, and, and I stutter now. My hair's gray. And I'm holding a stick watching sheep. And you want me to go back and deal with the Egyptians? They want to kill me, by the way, remember? I had to run away from them. You want me to go back? You know what's awesome about that? When God uses someone like you and me, who gets glorified? God does every time. If he used the most charismatic person on the planet, everybody would go, wow, that person's charismatic. But if, if he takes somebody who, you know, flunked out of English. I mean, you ever listen to Raul Reese on the radio? <laughs> Have you? The guy rocks. He can't speak English, but he rocks. I mean, he's, he's just slamming the English language forward, backward, and sideways. But you know, when you listen, you're like, man, you know what, man? Check it out, man. This is awesome, man. Check it out. Check it out. Right here, man. Look at it. Look right here. This is really heavy, man. Check it out. And you're like, okay, all right. And he tells you, like, yeah, that is heavy. Praise the Lord, right? But God can use him. Why? Because he said, Lord, here I am. He didn't say, well, I'm not educated. And, you know, I'm a kung fu guy. I mean, I don't, what do I know? But God used him. And God can use us. And he wants to use us. And how does it start? Feed other people. Don't just come, well, this church, I'm not going there anymore. They don't feed me enough. Come on the Agape Feast, we'll feed you, okay? But no, they don't feed me. They got hard chairs up in there. I didn't see any stained glass. And I like stained glass, so I'm not going to come back. And you know, if you try to look for a flaw, you'll find a flaw in every church on this planet. And if there wasn't a flaw, when you get there, you'll make it a flaw. Right? Amen? Because you're a sinner and so am I. And so we see here what he's saying is you feed others. You minister to others. Start a Bible study at work. Start praying for people by name. Ask God to use you. He'll answer that prayer every single time. And they're making these offerings, and that's the way they got fed, is when they made offerings, they got fed. Verse 10. In the most holy place you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. The grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering was eaten only by those who, had at one, who served in the holy place. And again, a greater portion is being fed to those in the ministry. You know, sometimes people think, can I... Can I give you that? Can I clue you in on something? I'm going to 
burst the bubble about pastors tonight, okay? Let me just clue you all in right now. Some people think that pastors are these spiritual giants, so they become pastors. You know, usually what it is, it's a guy who's a total train wreck. God makes him a pastor, so he's in the Word like 40 hours a week, and all of a sudden he starts falling in love with God, and God starts using him mightily. We think, oh, he's so perfect, his life is just great and wonderful, and that's why God's using him. No, usually it's a guy that's just desperate, and then he starts spending time in the Word, and because he's a pastor, you know, here's the reality, guys, I have no choice. I teach two to three times a week, every single week, without fail. So guess what? I'm going to be in the Word at least 40 or 50 hours every single week. Now, if you're in the Bible 40 or 50 hours a week, you can't help but grow. Amen? You start a Bible study at work, you're going to grow. I promise you. Well, that's okay. God can use you. He used Raul Reese. He used Moses. He used Dave. He can use you. Amen? And what we see here is that God has this calling and God desires that we all be used by Him. And what what we see here is it begins by when we minister on behalf of others, we get fed. Verse 11. This also is yours, speaking again to the priest, the heave offering of their gift with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them to you and your sons and your daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. So here's the blessing. When we minister... On behalf of others, it not only blesses us, but it blesses our entire family. I, you know what? I was in, when I have men's discipleship groups or the men's Bible study in San Jose, or even here, I've had wives come up to me and go, what are you doing with my husband on Tuesday night? Well, just teach them. He's radically different. Is this a good thing, I'm hoping? Yeah, it's awesome. He has never taken initiative to pray with me before. And now he prays with me. He's never taken initiative to go in at night and sit down with the kids and read them a Bible story. And now he does it every single night. He's never shared his faith at work and he's sharing his faith at work all the time. I got in his car the other day and all of his buttons were tuned to Christian radio. What are you doing with my husband? And the reality is that's what happens when we start feeding others and we start ministering to others that not only does our life get transformed, but it impacts our entire family. Amen? How many of you know that's true? Isn't that true? You can't help but have an impact on your family. You can't help it when you start falling in love with the Lord. The whole family is blessed by you and I serving. When we serve, the whole family gets blessed. When we minister to others, it blesses our entire home. And that's what he's saying here, is you get to take that, that heave offering home. And a heave offering doesn't mean they were sick. Okay? A heave offering means that they literally... Held it up. It's also called a wave offering. They waved it before God, presented it to Him, Lord, this is yours, and then they, part, they sacrificed it. That's what a heave offering is, okay? And so that was an offering where all of it was given to the priest. Verse 12, all the best of the oil, all the best of the new wine and the grain, their first fruits which they offered to the Lord, I have given them to you. Now, I want to make a real clear balance here, all right? And I know it's hard because some people struggle with it. I grew up, most of you know, my dad was a denominational pastor. And let me just tell you what, what happened with that. Well, often. I hope my dad doesn't get mad at me or my mom, but here's reality. They think, some denominations think, that unless the pastor's family is wearing rags and starving, he doesn't really, isn't really called into the ministry. If you're called by God, then you should be starving to death. Your car should not be any newer than 20 years old. All your kids should be in one bedroom on top of each other. And, and you know, if you've got clean hair, um, we're paying you way too much. You know what I'm saying? And so too often what happens in ministry, we look, and then you have the opposite extreme. Have you seen the pastors on TV with a $12,000 suit driving a Rolls Royce? 
with his own private jet. Is that God? Absolutely not. Amen? But I believe it's somewhere, it's not, you know, hey, you got, you know, my kids got to be eating dirt and, you know, and, and you know, we got to be living in a barrel somewhere and we're not called. Your clothes are too clean, we're painting you too much. And, you know, and that's what happens sometimes. But the opposite extreme is that it's all about money. Let me tell you something. I, and again, I, it's going to sound funky coming from your pastor, so please forgive me. But this is how I always felt in the 15 years that I served as an assistant and I wasn't being paid. I always wanted my pastor not to be thinking about where the food was coming from next week. Amen? I didn't want him to... Th- if he's thinking about where the food's coming from, how is he going to study the Bible? He's going to be sitting there trying to study the Bible going, how are my kids going to eat next week? That's not right. shouldn't be that way. But I'll tell you what else it shouldn't be. He shouldn't be living in such a fancy manner that it stumbles people either. Amen? You don't go in the ministry to get rich. Amen? Okay, you don't. If you're going to the ministry because you think it'll be a good gig, do something else. All right? It's pretty sweet. Have you ever heard that joke? Well, my dad's an astronaut. He makes this much money an hour. My dad's this. You know, he's a lawyer. Well, my dad is a pastor, and he's, he works for one hour a week, and it takes four guys to collect all the money that they pay him. Ushers coming up and down the aisle, right? But, you know, that's not it at all. And that's what he's saying about these guys in ministry. He's saying, you know what? You guys, the high priest is going to intercede for you, and you take care of him. You take care of the Levites. You take care of the high priest. You take care of those that serve in the tabernacle so they can pray for you, and they can minister to you, and they can intercede on your behalf. And I know this sounds funny coming from your pastor, okay? But I'm just sharing my heart with you because that's what's in the text. He's telling them, you give them the first, not the last. You know, that's the other thing. Why do we give missionaries the broken toys? You ever seen that? We had a love nook over in San Jose. I'd go in there sometimes. It was just wrong, some of the stuff they were giving to people in ministry. Oh, we're collecting stuff for the missionaries coming in from, you know, Guatemala. And you go in there and there's one shoe. I'm like, what are they going to do with that? You know, I mean, it's just like, it's all the ratty stuff. Well, I bought myself a brand new deluxe Delta Queen mattress, so I gave him my ratty one. I'm like, wait a minute, why don't you keep the ratty one and give that one to the missionary? Amen? And what he's saying here is the first fruits go to those who serve in ministry. God's desire is that those who serve in ministry would be fed by the ministry. But I also say this, the children of Israel were not always faithful to do it, so guess what happened often? The Levites had to go back out into the field and start working. And you know what? A guy who's truly called by God won't have a problem with that, by the way. I just encourage you with that. If a guy's truly called by God, he'll have no problem going back to work or doing whatever he has to do because he knows he's called and he'll do it anyway. But what I'm saying is when I look at our assistant pastors or when I look at people we're going to call in ministry as our church continues to grow, I don't think that because they're ministry they should be living at the poverty level. Amen? You guys understand what I'm trying to tell? Again, not get rich, but... I don't want one of my assistant pastors, you know, having one box of macaroni and cheese to last him for the next 10 days. That's not good, all right? And I know you don't want that either, amen? You don't want that, and we don't want that. And that's what he's saying here is, hey, the first fruits going to them, they're going to be blessed, they're going to be ministered to, and they're going to be taken care of because that ultimately is God's highest. He said he gave to them all of the best. Christians show what they are by what they do with what they have. How do, I, how do we know where your heart is? What do you do with what you have? What do you do with it? If you're, if you're using it for the Lord in His kingdom and, and you know, you're living in a way that, that honors God, then that shows where your heart is. But if you're storing it up for yourself, then it kind of shows where your faith is. 
you know what? Don't give God the leftovers of your time. Don't give him the leftovers of your possessions. Don't give him the leftovers of your finances. Don't give him the leftovers of your passion. You give to him first. Amen? You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the rest of it. Verse 13. It says, whatever first ripe fruit is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat of it. So again, the first fruit is brought in and given to those who serve in ministry. And what do they do? They feed their entire family with it. Verse 14. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. The word there for devoted is consecrated. Those of you who have been coming, what does consecrated mean? Set apart for what? Holy use. When you consecrate something, you're saying this only has one use from this point forward. And the only use for this, whatever it is in my hand, is for God from now on. Example might be, maybe you're here tonight and you're really gifted at playing a guitar or some musical instrument. And maybe, you know, you even learned before you were saved and God put on your heart one day, you know what, I want you to consecrate that gift and from now on, you only use that gift to glorify me. That's consecrating the gift, amen? That means when you're sitting at home, you're worshiping. You're not, you know, doing Jimi Hendrix licks in the garage, right? You know, you're sitting at home and you're playing some worship music. And you're drawing close to the Lord and you say, Lord, this is yours. Whatever that gift may be, you say, Lord, I give it to you. And from now on, that gift belongs to you. Some of us, it may even be our life. Lord, I give my life to you. I want to be consecrated, my whole body. Like the man who said when they passed the offering plate, he just want to put himself in it. You know, here, Lord, I just want to give you me. I want to give you my stuff. I want you to take me. That's consecrated. And when he says everything that's devoted or consecrated shall belong to those in the ministry to use it for God's glory, dedicated to God by vow or otherwise. You know, who was dedicated to God as a young boy by his mom by the name of Hannah? Samuel. Remember that? Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him to you. What is that? She's consecrating her son. As soon as he was weaned, what did she do? She brought him down and put him to serve in the, in, with the high priest, Eli, right? And God used him mightily his entire life. That's consecrated. And that's what this verse is talking about. Verse 15. Everything that first opens the womb of all flesh, which they bring to the Lord, whether man or beast, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man shall be surely uh, redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And those redeemed are the devoted things you shall redeem when one month old, according to your valuation of five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 giras. Now here's the thing. Whenever uh, an animal had, gave birth to more animals, if there were multiple animals, the first one belonged to the Lord. As a parent, the first child you had belonged to the Lord. If it was a clean animal, it was sacrificed to the Lord. And if it was an unclean animal, you could buy it back by giving redemption money. That's what the word redeem means. It means to pay for something. And that's what Jesus did for us. Amen? He paid the price on our behalf. So the firstborn belongs to the Lord. The first fruits belong to the Lord. Verse 17 and 18. But the firstborn of the cow, the firstborn of the sheep, or the firstborn of the goat, what kind of animals are those? Those are clean animals, okay? You shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. And their flesh shall be yours, just as a wave, as the wave breast and the right thigh is yours. So the sacrifice was made unto the Lord. He gets the best. 
And then the rest of what was left over was given to those who served in the ministry. Verse 19. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offered to the Lord I have given to you and your sons and daughters with, with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you, your descendants with you. What in the world is a covenant of salt? What does salt do? It preserves. It adds flavor, right? I mean, you can take something really nasty and if you put enough salt on there, it's, it's not bad, right? <laughs> so it, it, does, it, it, it brings flavor, right? But you know what else salt doesn't do? Salt doesn't burn. You can put salt in fire and it doesn't burn. Why? That's how God made it. And here's the reality. He's saying, you're going to go through the fire and you're going to go through difficulty but your relationship with me and your dedication before me is going to be as salt. That's awesome. You know what? Often we don't want to go through the trials, but I, what he's telling them here in these, in these verses, I've, what I've given your sons and daughters is ordinance forever. There's a covenant of salt. It's an unending co- uh, um, covenant. Salt is durable. It endures the flames. And what you give to the Lord will not be forgotten. You know what? There was a woman who gave two what? A widow gave what? Mites. And a mite is like a penny. You know what's amazing? We're still talking about her today. Do you know in the same chapter somebody came in blowing horns, blowing trumpets, right? They'd get as much change as they could and they'd shake it into these trumpets. Right? Everybody. Right? And everybody's been pointing everybody, yeah, look how much I'm getting. And she walked out quietly and put her penny basically into the, and walked away. And the Lord said she gave more than all of them. Because she gave out of her heart and she gave out of her lack. She didn't give out of her abundance. And the Lord's saying when we give it to the Lord, it's going to endure. It's going to last. When we use it for ourselves, it passes away and is of very little value. Verse 20, the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, nor should you have any portion among them. I am your portion. Man, I'm going over. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Here's the thing, you guys. We have no inheritance on this earth. Amen? Do you know this is not your home? But we hold on to it like it is sometimes, don't we? Aren't we fighting over deck chairs on the Titanic? This, this is a sinking ship. It's going down. And too often we act like this is the, this is the last place. I'm going to move quickly here, but I want to encourage you with something. Store up riches that are going to outlast this life. Amen? Store them up where it's not going to rust. It's not going to fade away. It's not going to you know, die. Store it up in this stuff that will last. He's saying, in the land you have no provision, you have no security. Where's your hope? Your hope's in the Lord and nowhere else. 21. Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance to return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. So, because they serve in the tabernacle, God ministers to them and they receive the tithes of the people so they might continue to, to minister to the people and also that the people might provide for them. Verse 22. Hereafter the children of Israel shall not come to the tabernacle of meeting lest they bear sin and die. The children of Israel could not come apart from one bringing a sacrifice. There must be a sacrifice or they could not enter into the presence of God. Verse 23. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generation that you shall have no inheritance. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore, I have said to them among the children of Israel, they have no inheritance. I'll tell you, the thing that will transform your life more than anything else is when you stop 
looking at your physical stuff as being what's really important. When you start looking at heaven as your home instead of the place that you live during the week, it's going to change your perspective on everything. Now watch what happens, and then we're done. Verse 25. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak thus to the Levites, and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as an inheritance, then you shall offer a heave offering of it to the Lord as a tenth of the tithe. And your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor, as the fullness of the winepress. Thus you shall also offer a heave offering to the Lord for all your tithes which you receive from the children of Israel. And you shall give the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron the priest. So guess what? They were given tithes to support them, but they were still supposed to give. And every once in a while you run into somebody in ministry who thinks because they're in ministry that they don't have to give because... People give to them. But here's the reality. We're all called to give. Amen? No matter what you're doing, no matter what, you're all, we're all called to give. Everyone in ministry should be giving. Pastors should be tithing, even though he's being paid from the tithes of other people, he should be tithing from what he gets. And it says here that the tithes of the Levites would then be going up to who? The high priest. And what does the high priest do? Ministers to, him, to the Levites. Amen? So they're, they're taking what God has blessed them with and blessing those who minister to them as well. Verse 29. Of all your gifts, you shall offer up every heave offering due to the Lord from all the best of them, the consecrated part of them. Therefore, you shall say to them, when you have lifted up the best of it, then the rest shall be accounted to the Levites as a produce of the threshing floor and the produce of the wine, wine press. Watch this. You may eat of it in any place, you and your household, for it is your reward for your work in the tabernacle of meeting. You know what? May, may I encourage you with something? When you give to a ministry, let God deal with how they, how they use it. Amen? There's several ministries I give to. And I could sit there and nitpick how they spend every dime. But you know what? That's between them and the Lord. Just let them have it. And it says here in this text that they can eat it wherever they want to. It's their reward for serving God. It's theirs. Let's not nitpick. Amen? It's theirs. God, I gave it to the Lord. Amen? And what they do with it, God will deal with them. I'll tell you what. I don't want to be the one that takes what God has given and used it in a way that doesn't honor him. Hey, the last, you know, the least thing you need to be worried about is what people say. You're going to be dealing with the creator of the universe on that one, right? And so what we need to do is when we give to ministries, just say, hey, I gave it to the Lord. You know what? I went to a church at one point many, many, many years ago where I gave and I saw some things that concerned me at one point and the Lord just put this on my heart. You know what? You gave it to me. You let me deal with them. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. And God took care of it. He always does, amen? He knows your heart. He knows what you're given to. And, and he says right in that text there that they can use it for whatever they want because God is the one who's provided for him. Verse 32, And you shall bear no sin because of it, when you have lifted up the best of it, but you shall not profane the holy gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. At the same time, they're not to profane or abuse the offerings that God had given to them. They were to tithe themselves. Those in the ministry should be good stewards of what God has given them, not greedy for wealth, not a pursuit of mammon. They're, they're no more accountable than the rest of us. You know, here's the interesting part. Some people think that because someone is paid for being in ministry, let's say they're a Christian musician or they're a missionary, that somehow the way that they spend their money, we have to keep a closer eye on them than we have to keep on you. Let me ask you a question. If you work at IBM, who's paying you really? God is. Whose money is in your bank account? God's. Whose money is in my bank account? God's. Whose shoes am I wearing? These are God's shoes. I didn't know he wore a size 10 and a half, but, you know, these are God's shoes. 
When we realize that everything we have belongs to the Lord, we start wanting to be good stewards regardless of where we are in life. Amen? Because it's all His. And we want to be faithful. And we want to be good stewards. I know it went over, but in review, God's provision in ministry. For the priest, God's provision for the people spiritually. For the people, God's provision for the f- priest physically. So the priest ministered to the people spiritually, and the people ministered to the priest physically. May we be like the Levites. God ministering to us and God ministering through us. The Levites were given, but then the Levites turned and gave it away. That's what God wants to do with us. May we all be conduits for ministry, holding lightly to that which is perishing and pursuing that which is eternal. God provides for us all. and May we be good stewards. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace and for your word. Help us, Lord, to realize that all that we have is yours, everything. Lord, whether it be the gifts you've given us, the talents that we have, the intellect that we have, everything that we have, Lord, is yours. Our homes are yours. Our cars are yours. Our, again, our families are yours. Our children, Lord, belong to you. Lord, I pray that we would be good stewards with what you've given us to care over that belongs to you. Help us, Lord, to take good care of your kids. Help us, Lord, to take good care of your talents and your gifts that you let us watch over. Lord, may we take what you've given us and use it not for our glory, but for yours. May we not use it for our comfort, Lord, but that your kingdom might be added to. So, Father, we love you and we praise you, Lord. And I just thank you for every person who's here tonight. Just strengthen us in our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.